Hey, CA Church, my name is Cam Daly. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Labor Day weekend, whatever that means. I was actually looking it up this week and trying to figure out when this day came to be. And initially it was just an extra day for union workers to advocate for better working conditions and rights. But let's be honest, for most of us, it signifies the last long weekend of summer. For you guys who are in high school, or you kids, it kind of signifies that school is right around the corner. And as many of us are heading into a season of less play and more work, while some of us start the job hunt as CRB comes to an end, Pastor Mark and I were just discussing the importance of reminding us as a church why work matters. This may feel like an odd time to be talking about work. We're in the middle of a pandemic, people have lost their jobs. In fact, 2.5 million Canadians lost their jobs uh, in the beginning months of the pandemic. Employment rates have hit nearly 15% and higher, depending on the demographic you're part of. But as the, the province continues to reopen and many get rehired or find new jobs or you teenagers enter the workforce for the first time, I wanna help us today to see why our work matters. This leads us to our big idea for this talk. All good work is God's work. All work that is good as God defines it is good and godly and God at work. But some of you think, really? Me making a pumpkin spice latte or pulling this lever that makes a part, sitting at a desk typing all day, baking a loaf of bread? What about sweeping floors or feeding my kids, creating art, writing a play, designing a website, uh, slugging a hammer, driving a truck or delivering packages, making an Americano, teaching that class, pulling over that guy for speeding? Really, this is God's work? And the answer is yes. Martin Luther helps us to see this through his comments on the text in the Psalms. He looked at the language of the author of Psalms 144 to 146 and notes that God is at work through us in our everyday work. Let us look at some of the lines that these Psalms put together. Let's start with Psalm 144. It says, our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by the thousands. Our tens of thousands in the field. Our oxen will draw heavy loads. There will be no breaching the walls, no going into captivity, no cry of distress in our streets. 145 says, the Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all that he does. The Lord upholds all who falls. The eyes of all that look to you, you give them their food at their proper time. You open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. And finally, 146, it says he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down and loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. What Luther highlights in these texts is this. When the needs of people are met through our work, it's actually God taking credit behind the scenes. Notice that it says he does this, he provides that, but we know from experience it's actually it feels like we are doing these things through our work. Luther explains that we are the fingers of God. When those of you uh, do work with those who are fallen, sick, the oppressed, mentally ill, jobless, the hurting, it's God at work. Those of you who provide food, Luther gave the example of a milkmaid milking a cow or the person who bakes bread makes food in a restaurant, the butcher, the person who works in the deli, if you're a grocer or work at the food bank, if you work at Starbucks or Tim Hortons, you make amazing California rolls or great cookies. This is God working through you to provide food and sustenance to people. Those who are farmers or at work in labor to fill our barns, that is God at work. 
Those of you who set prisoners free, the military rescuing people, the police officers rescuing a hostage, or a lawyer who sets someone free, the judge that rules justly to release a deserving prisoner, this is God at work. Doctors and nurses who give sight to the blind and heal people of sicknesses and disease, this is God at work. This text says he upholds the cause of the oppressed and feeds the hungry. I think of those who work in social services or those who work with refugees, this is also God at work. These texts talk about no breaching of the walls or referring to safety. Uh, those who are soldiers, police officers, those who work in protecting our information online, those who protect our children. When done in God-honoring ways, this is God at work through you. All good work is God's work. We are the fingers of God. Another way that Luther puts this, which is really interesting in our times, is he says that we are the mask of God. Uh, and uh, many of you, as you head back to work this fall, you're probably going to have to put on one of these, a mask. And I know for many of you, this is kind of surrounded in all sorts of controversy, and uh, some of you aren't so sure about this. But maybe I could just give us another way to think about what this is this fall, that as we put it on, it's a reminder that you are the mask of God. That behind you, as you are doing your work, there is a gracious God caring for his creation and people through what you do. Every conversation, interaction, every sale made, every time you interact with coworkers. When you uh, work really hard, when you make that presentation, you represent him. When you take the stage to dance or sing or act, you represent him. When you care for your children or grandchildren, you represent him. When you teach and instruct others, you represent him. You are the mask of God. And this changes the way we think about what we do. It corrects our misconceptions. I think really there's probably just two camps we fall into when it comes to work. First is the belief that there's spiritual work and then there's earthly work. Spiritual work is the work of pastors and missionaries and maybe when I'm volunteering at church. But earthly work is our nine to five, bring home the bacon, support our families, pay for our vacation kind of work. So the narrative we can create is this kind of work is spiritual, but this kind of work is not. But these texts help us to see that this is not the case. It is a belief that all work, whether it's a barista at a coffee shop or delivering mail, is God work. Whether you're landing a plane because you're a pilot or a physio, you make websites or make deals. All good work is God at work. And if this is true, it changes the way you're going to view Tuesday coming up or waking up tomorrow to take care of your family. As you walk through those doors, as you perhaps put on a mask, it changes how we think about those interactions. There's a few ways I wanna highlight how this worldview or this perspective changes for us. And this leads us to our, our first point, and that is it places you in a greater story. The Christian worldview gives us a greater story that brings meaning to our work. There's this example from Tim Keller. If someone walks up to you while you're at the bus stop, and says to you, the Latin name for the common duck is Platyrhinicus, Platyrhinicus, Platyrhinicus. This would be a confusing event. So likely in your head, you would start to create a story. You, you would create a story about what is going on for this person. Maybe this person is ill, uh, and, uh, and so they're confused. Maybe this person met someone in the library yesterday, uh, who, and you walked up to them and said, hey, what's the name for the common duck? And they finally had the answer, they're bringing it to you. The third option might be, maybe they are a spy, and this is the secret phrase that identifies him to his contact. Depending on the story you tell yourself, you're gonna act differently. If he's ill, you should try and help him. If he's mistaken, 
Maybe you correct him, say, hey, listen, I'm not the guy you're looking for. If he's a spy, perhaps you call the authorities. See, if the story I've been telling is true, that God genuinely intends to work in and through you, that all good work you do is God at work, you will operate differently when you head to work next. See, the choice for a church in every age will be, will our identity be shaped by scripture or by our culture, by the biblical story or the cultural story? That's a quote from Leslie Newbegin. See, the gospel, the scriptures, the biblical story gives us a narrative that informs our identity and therefore how we live. We must choose each day to identify with the biblical story if we want our day-to-day to reflect God. Secondly, if this is true, that you are the mask of God, then the way that we work represents him. Therefore, and this is our second point, we're called to glorify God in our work. See, in Corinthians, in a few different places, Paul unpacks that the way that we live our lives brings glory to God. In one place, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Another place, he says this, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, says, do it all for the glory of God. These two examples pertain to our sexuality and the way that we eat. And there's a lot of different stuff that's going on with the context. And although this isn't exactly how Paul is applying these texts, the implications are the same. You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We are called to be a people who brings God glory in all that we do. How would it change the way that you operate? Just think about this for a minute. If you, if you knew every day you're going to work, it was actually something that was bringing glory to God. In researching this topic, I heard someone reference the ministry of competence, meaning that, we are, that when we are competent or excellent in what we do, we're actually ministering to those around us. This is true, isn't it though? When somebody is really good at something, it gives them credit to speak on all sorts of things with a willing audience. We see this uh, with incredible athletes all the time. They're amazing at their craft, and then we find them becoming ambassadors for all sorts of causes. This is what we've seen recently in the NBA and the NHL around the themes of racial injustice. See, being good glorifies God and gives us credibility. Because of this, we should strive to be the best and do the best work in any field we find ourselves because we represent God, to strive for excellence. See, the Canucks right now are in the middle of their first playoff run in five years. And one of the things that is just standing out to me this year, as a, uh, and any fan that's watching, is the incredible effort from everyone on the team. Blocking shots, like the other day, they, they set a record blocking 40 shots in one game. Backchecking, just the resilience of the team. But we specifically see this in the captain, Bo Horvat. In a recent article about him in The Athletic, Harmon Daliel wrote this. Talk to anyone in the Canucks leadership group. And the message is is that Horvat sets the tone for the group with his driven, workmanlike attitude. And that's important because as much as people on the outside imagine dramatic, inspiring speeches encapsulating what leadership and captaincy are all about, none of those words would mean anything if they're not backed up by action. You see, there's credibility that working the hardest and being skillful brings to our work. And and there's also a discrediting effect when we're poor at what we do. This is true of sports and also in the workplace. I remember my first job 
when I worked at Walmart in maintenance. Okay, I was 16 years old, but essentially the job was this, collecting shopping carts in the parking lot, thank you for those of you who leave shopping carts throughout the parking lot, you're employing people, and keeping them stocked. Cleaning up smells, cleaning washrooms, sometimes loading merchandise into the building. Confession time for me though. I was often late for that job, I often didn't move fast, I wasn't at my best, I didn't work hard, I didn't take it that seriously. And I remember one day my manager, who happened to be a Christian as well, he, he wanted to have a chat with me in his office. He talked about how I actually represented Christ to my coworkers, that my efforts and how hard I worked was a witness just as much as my talking about Jesus. I ended up getting fired from that job in the same conversation. And it was a good wake-up call for me because I didn't get it, get it then, but I do now. Good work is God's work. I was the mask of God, not just the mouth of God. And as people saw me work, they got a glimpse into who my God was. I want to remind you as you're heading into this fall, we represent Jesus. The title Christian was given to us because it means little Christ. And so the way you do business deals matter. Your truthfulness matters. The quality in which you make something matters. The way you treat clients or coworkers matters. The way we care for others matters. How hard you work matters. An old but helpful uh, question that people used to say is WWJD, what would Jesus do? But perhaps a more helpful question that isn't subjective to our perspectives about what Jesus would or wouldn't do is this. WDJD, what did Jesus do? Pastor Andrew often wears this bracelet that actually has those initials on it. And he talks about how we can actually look at the life of Jesus and observe how he operated differently than others. We can see the way he treated people. We can see how he loved and how he cared. We can see that he worked, that he was sacrificial, that whatever he, wherever he went, he actually represented his heavenly father. He was not quick to anger. He didn't need to defend himself when claims were made against him. He cared deeply about sin, but he also didn't trample over those around him to achieve his goals or be noticed. He noticed the least of these. And because the way Jesus lived, he said outrageous statements such as this, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Can you imagine if we operate in such a way? If you've seen me at work, you've had a glimpse of Jesus today. <laughs> But we're called to be a people who actually bring the presence of God with us wherever we go, including our workplace. This has been our mandate from the very beginning. Mark Sayers, in his book, Reappearing Church, refers to the Genesis story to help us understand our role in the world. He said it this way, When Adam and Eve are commanded by God to be fruitful and increase in number, they are to go beyond Eden, to fill the earth and subdue it. Just as God had subdued and brought order out of our chaos, so humans will go beyond Eden, spreading the garden by making the places beyond it habitable. He says, Beale uh, writes, Adam was to widen the boundaries of the garden in ever-increasing circles by extending the order of the garden sanctuary into, into inhospitable outer places. The outward expansion would include the goal of spreading the glorious presence of God. See, humanity's original role in functioning God's life system was to act as his agents in the world, expanding his presence through the world until the whole of creation is filled with his glory. See, we are called to be people who bring the presence of God with us wherever we go, reshaping our world, 
taking the inhospitable places and spaces and bringing order. We're called to reshape the world around us as God's agents, which leads us to our last point. We are God's missionaries in the workplace. Not only do we simply represent God uh, when we land the plane or flip a burger or teach a class or dance on stage, write a story, make a graphic, but it actually matters how we do it. But God has actually placed each of us in those spaces, that classroom, that home, that workplace to bring his presence through his spirit, but also his message through our words. Paul called this the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 to 21, it says this, And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Do you see it? This wonderful gift of salvation that you've received from God is not just for you, but it's for others because God is giving us the task of reconciling people back to himself. God is making his appeal through us, as Paul said. We are the mask of God. And so therefore, it is our job in our places of work uh, to not just represent God in how we work, but we're also called to bring the story and message of Jesus to our workplace. This idea changed the way I thought about my job when I used to be a barista at Starbucks. I'm proud of my time there. I, I did work hard, unlike Walmart, but I also shared the message there. I would walk into the store on St. John's in Port Moody as a missionary. I recognized the unique opportunity I had every shift to reach my coworkers, to share with my customers the message of reconciliation that Paul's talking about, because I was an ambassador for the kingdom. Whether that was praying for them, and that did happen a couple times, speaking hope into their lives, talking about forgiveness or correcting them, and sometimes overtly just sharing about the gospel in Jesus. It was really interesting because throughout my time there, I was often threatened by my manager that I'd be fired if I kept talking to people about Jesus, to which I would respond, that would be so amazing to lose my job for uh, sharing about Jesus. Obviously, I was a zealous young Christian at the time, and uh, knowing my job now, that likely doesn't surprise you. But each of us is called to share the message of the gospel wherever we go in our own way. It may be as simple as an invite to church at home, or praying for someone, offering hospitality, Sending the link to the online service, offering forgiveness, or asking for forgiveness when you've messed up. God will give us opportunities each day because he is making his appeal through us to a broken world. Come back to God. I want this to hit home with you as you're watching this and as you head back to work this fall, as you get rehired or find a new job, as you wake up tomorrow morning, you've been placed in, in a home a workplace, a neighborhood, a city, for a purpose and for a reason. It's not a mistake that you work where you do. It's not a mistake that you keep getting a shift with that person. It's not an accident that you are a mom to those kids. We are God's ambassador, bringing the message of Jesus wherever we go. So, let's end with this. 
Who do you need to share this message with? Who do you need to invite? Who do you need to pray for? When is your next unique opportunity to share the hope you have in Jesus? As a concluding thought, if everything we said today is true, the interesting thing is for our kids, wherever they end up working, we should celebrate it. All good work is God at work. An author called Bob Reiner in his book, The Roaring Lamb said this, there should be no less support or attention for the earnest Christian young person who has been accepted into the Juilliard School for Music than for the one going off to theological seminary. The church needs writers, performers, artists, speakers, politicians, businessmen, and businesswomen, and workers in every craft and trade. In God's eyes, there should be no hierarchy. There certainly should not be in ours. Friends, we need you. The church needs you to pursue your passions, to work hard, to represent God in this world. Wherever you find yourself, whatever you call work, all good work is God's work through you. I want to conclude by praying and commissioning us as we head back into the workforce this fall. And so let's pray together. God, thank you for each of these men and women who love you. As we discuss a subject such as this, it's possible that there's some who maybe just long to have work in this season and they don't. Lord, would you provide for them the work that would be fulfilling and meaningful in a place where they could represent you? I also want to pray for those who've maybe gotten in a bit of a rut, seen their job as a means to paying uh, to a paycheck and, and forgotten that they, who they actually represent. God, would you re-energize them and remind them each day of the opportunity they have to get better and show others who you are. Finally, I wanna pray for those who, are, uh, who work without a paycheck, stay-at-home moms and dads, those who are retired, those who are unable to work. God, would you encourage them now that our work is not always a paycheck, but rather whatever we put our hands to and give our lives to. Would you show them each uniquely the beauty of the things they contribute and the opportunities they have for you to work in and through them Lord, thank you for each and every person in this church, how they're uniquely gifted and called. God, would you use them this fall, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.